Hello, welcome to a week in the news. I'm Chris Scott, and today I'm joined, as always, by Mike Kelly. You're right, Mike. Hi, Chris. Busy week this week, isn't it? It is indeed. Lots of paperwork in front of him. Lots of research, which is good to see. And Kate Proctor, who's freshly back from a nice vacation. How was it, Kate? Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you. But uh, much better being back in here. <laughs> Where did you go? <laughs> Went to Italy. Ooh, very nice. It was lovely. All right. Well, um, it's been a busy week to come back to with all the parties releasing the manifestos. Uh, Michael, start with you. Can you pick out just a couple of key points that you think is worth discussing? There's a couple of things, particularly from the Conservative Party manifesto. So it seems to be a massive, great giveaway, an unfunded giveaway, which I think they've been pulled up on. The two main things are the extra money they give to the NHS, the £8 billion. Mm-hmm. Asked how they're going to fund that, they resorted to their fail-safe measure, which is to just trust us. We'll find the money. The same is same as when they said they were going to find twelve billion pounds worth of cuts. They say our record in government shows that we we fulfil our promises, which is obviously open to to debate. But they found those two particularly hard to sell, as have they done with the extension of the right to buy to housing association tenants. Uh, that is basically they're going to give the right to buy to one point three million housing association tenants. This is obviously a follow-on from the famous Margaret Thatcher policy in the 80s, which, which hastened her to power. They're hoping the, the magic will work twice mm-hmm. for them. But within days of that being announced, a lot of people are raising question marks about exactly how will that be funded mm-hmm. and would it actually rebound on them. Yeah, it's interesting the rate to buy because the whole point of it is from, the t- from what the Tory government are saying at the moment, they're saying this is going to benefit working people. They say that, but it's again, it's going back to the problems of the 1980s. They're saying, right, we're going to allow 1.3 million people to buy these houses, but what's going to replace those 1.3 million houses if they're actually bought? Yeah. It's again, we've got this supply demand thing. Um, there is a housing crisis, i.e., a shortage of houses. This is just going to add to it. Yeah. Certainly. I mean, that's not helping first-time buyers, and I know they'll say they've got a raft of policies that support first-time buyers, but this is something different, and I don't think it's really addressing the shortage in Britain. And also the fact that once these houses have gone, they've gone from the system forever. Um, and in in places like London and the bigger cities, there has to be greater protection on that, I think. Yeah. Um, Nick Forbes told me this week that, you know, of everything he heard, from the Labour point of view, listening to the Tory manifesto, that was uh, that was that was a bonkers one. I've got an interesting stat here because with the right to buy, obviously, and Thatcher's policy in the eighties has become quite popular, and a lot of people have been talking about it. And our sister paper, The Mirror, did a little bit of an investigation, and what they found was a third of the ex-council houses sold in the nineteen eighties under Thatcher are now owned by private landlords. Well, there we go. Well, there's <laughs> one thing, and this is another thing that I found quite interesting. And I don't know whether people believe in conspiracy theories, but this is a good one. Um, Charles Gow, the tycoon, and his wife own at least 40 ex-council flats that were made available to buy in the 80s under Thatcher. Now, Charles Gow is the son of Ian Gow, who was one of Thatcher's top aides, and at the height of Right to Buy, he was the housing minister. So, you know... It's it's something that's wide open, isn't Mm. it, for... I I, don't know whether you'd want to use the word abuse there, but I think... At, at the heart of it, once though, like I said, once those houses have gone, they've gone, and within a few years, they're in private hands. And it's yeah, people can swoop in and buy a whole raft of them, and it completely does a disservice to the people that need social housing. And I'd say after five years of cuts, 
Mm. I, I would say the the need's never been greater. Yeah, I mean, there's there's I'm afraid his name escapes me, but one of the biggest landlords is a, a Tory MP who's bought these housing estates down in London. There was stories a month or two ago about, I think it's the E15, mm. where they stayed sit-ins there because what's happened, his company has taken over these housing association buildings and it looks like the the uh, the rent is going to rocket because he can charge what he likes in London. Mm. And these are the, the problems that are thrown up by policies like this. It's, it's a short-term, as someone said, it's good politics. Long-term, it's very, very bad policy. Mm. It's gonna, it's gonna pay the country dear if they actually do follow through with this. Um, so let's let's go on the other end of the spectrum in terms of obviously the Tories are very keen to carry on with austerity, and that was made clear again in their manifesto. Kate, I know this week you've been looking very much into the Green Party and what they're standing for. Yeah, they're completely against austerity. Yeah, they are. So um, in the say, you know, like Nicola Sturgeon, and that's where the comparison <laughs> abruptly stops. Um, they're, anti, they're an anti-austerity choice mm. um, and I think it's interesting that it's out there uh, it's something that people have to consider and I think what we're looking at is the Conservative Party, Labour Party, Lib Dems, the three biggest they're all various different versions of neoliberal economics and a neoliberal way of thinking um, and you could reject that choice if you want and I think that's exactly the argument that the Greens are trying to make on the doorsteps this time round and I think they're a bit of a lone voice to be honest um, but they are presenting something that's important for the debate for it to be considered I feel I feel in a way that the manifesto it has this figure that they would borrow 338 billion to uh, fund what they want to do and I think after five years I think people are just scared to death of the word borrowing. Well, you, say, you say that but in the manifesto they've also said that they're going to cut UK borrowing to £21 billion by 2019. I'm not too sure about that figure itself but I think what we know in the whole the part is from what the party have said is that yeah. they will do what they can and they will based on this figure of £338 billion, that's what they need to that's what they need to make everything yeah. happen. Yeah, I mean, they're coming, they borrowing, like, like Kate said, is the B word that no one dares yeah. speak. But yes, they, they're addressing it. They're saying end austerity. But I think the, the 21 billion talk about, they're mm. gonna, that's going to be met by the extra taxes they're right. going to implement on the people who can afford to pay it. Yeah, again, it's looking at their policies, it's very left wing policies. Yeah, incredibly left wing. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who are reading them with great interest. Uh, almost socialist, dare we say, these policies. Mm. They're also like, like taking on the, the torch of the Labour Party from the past. And, and yeah, they've really gone mm. for it. I mean, that's what, the, that's what the word is. If you talk to young Greens, that's what they're all sort of primed and ready to say. They're unashamedly left. And that's what they'll be saying to you on the doorstep. If you voted Labour, you should vote for us because we are, we are the most left choice out there. There's no apologies for that. I mean, the Green Party has roots in lots of different areas, including sort of conservative ecology, uh, conservative ideas about rural um, protection and there's a whole stream of thought that came through in the 70s so the Greens have always been quite a disparate bunch but I think this time uh, they've all decided if it's British Green Party it's a left wing party. But you also tweeted this week that you weren't that impressed with the Young Greens. I wasn't impressed with the Young Greens in Newcastle because they didn't know the names of who they were running against and I understand, I, I totally understand you are a candidate on paper alone and that people do complain if they don't even have the choice of a green. Um, but I think, you know, you should know who you're running against. I think that's just polite. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> and so we, we, we could literally spend, I think, the next couple of hours dissecting every single manifesto or the Labour manifestos and and the uh, Liberal Democrats manifestos, UKIP's manifestos, which, uh, which is bonkers, if you ask me, <laughs> because there, I was reading about how these manifestos are going to affect local governments, and when it came to UKIP, how, like when it came to the question of how uh, local councils are going to be funded under a UKIP government, it was completely unclear, and I just thought that was crazy. Um, if you're going to outline your manifesto, it's it's got to be about grassroots. It's got to be about what the local councils and how that's going to play out. But instead of really getting into all the manifestos and stuff, I want to raise the question of: it's virtually guaranteed that no party will win an outright majority in this next election. It's going to be a hung parliament. We've moved away from the two-party system of Labour and Conservatives more towards a German Jewish mo- model of politics where it's minority politics really and the minority parties have got to make up and help a government form uh, or help form a government so given that no party is going to win a majority do these manifestos matter because no one's going to be able to implement it well, I think what you've got now is I mean all the parties will say as it, Ed Miliband is saying as David Cameron is saying yes we are aiming to get a majority we fully think we will even the TV debate last week when he was so publicly courted by Nicholas Sturgeon he, he, he rejected it saying he's looking for majority but now in the back of the mind they're saying these are what we stand for so it's something like a checklist Labour represents this and you can play a little game right what do their, who, which other party do their policies agree with? So you do a little checklist. Labour and Tory, not going to happen. Labour and Green, there's a, a few common grounds there they can work on. And ditto not with, Trident. Yes, <laughs> not Trident. Uh, yeah, to, to be frank, I think if, if, La- if Labour was really honest with itself, it would like to get rid of Trident. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's I just is, I just want to pick something is, up. And um, so they've said here that we would like to reduce Trident to a minimal, <laughs> credible nuclear deterrent level. I mean, minimal credible. Yeah, <laughs> <especially> <laughs> that can only make sense if you get rid of it. Yeah. Because it's £100 billion pounds over, what, 30 years? It's just unaffordable. It's, it's just it, such a Labour phrase, that yeah, minimal, yeah. Cred- minimal credible. And we've heard it from the cuts in Newcastle, but I just think, and what a nothing thing to and say. It adds, creed- it adds credence mm. to what was said in the TV debates that Labour, it's always a halfway house, it's always a Tory light or... It's that since the 80s, they've always been scared of their own shadow, Labour, the shadow being the right-wing press. They're always conscious of how they portray themselves. They don't want to be seen as weak and vacillating. They're almost courting the right-wing press. They, they're almost like foreseeing the attacks, where they're going to come before they come, instead of just like the Greens have done, saying, this is what we stand for, take us or leave us. Mm. That's the problem with Labour since the 80s. It's Like I say, it's been anyone who lived through that and saw the grief they got kind of understand why they're they're self-consciously trying to play the middle ground all the time but there must come a time when they've got to say this is what we stand for i think perhaps this election might be that time and as you said mike you know you're looking at the manifestos and you're kind of trying to link up which party fits Mm -hmm. with one's like a jigsaw that you're trying to piece together from the manifesto main points and and from the manifestos that we've read this week kate where do you think the coalition is going to come um I, th- I, I find it utterly bizarre that both UKIP and the Greens are both offering an in-out referendum on the EU. I mean, that's just an example, I think, of how actually meaningless uh, 
manifestos can be because mm-hmm. I mean that's complete polar opposites and then yet they've come up with the same strategy so they've just chucked that one out there um, Labour won't work with the Liberal Democrats is what I feel I don't think that's going to happen um, I think we, there was a good phrase this week where I think um, Liberal Democrats said they would be the heart to a Conservative government and the head and the brain to a Labour government, <laughs> which kind of made me think that they were just a cowardly lion out of the Wizard of Oz, which <laughs> I think if we're looking at this Conservative government, I think that you could make the Yeah, they set themselves up for a fall there by yeah, saying that just really. A little bit. I feel that I think it's going to be a Labour minority government, and I think they're going to seek support from the nationalists, from SNP and Play Cymru. In some ways, I disagree. I think we're as dismissing the chances of them working with Lib Dems, I, I think they will. But obviously, it will be without, Dem, Nick without Nick Clegg. Yeah, of course. There'll okay. be a hugely symbolic uh, embracing when I think. Don't <laughs> be go for his head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, it's after. I mean, when the Lib Dems are talking with Labour before the, at the end of last election, talking about forming a coalition, the Nick Clegg made it clear that he wouldn't work with Labour with Gordon Brown. So Gordon Brown was somewhat humiliated mm-hmm. by him having to step down so publicly. He's used as a bargaining chip, whereas this time around, uh, Labour have long memories. If they do actually sit down and decide to work with them or contemplate working with them, one of the stipulations is get rid of Nick Clegg. Absolutely. So, yeah. so there is a chance in that respect. Uh, with Labour, also, obviously, without like the Conservative link, that would be hilarious if they actually formed a coalition with them. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, not UKIP. So I would think Labour's bedfellows, if they are to be, mm. would be the Greens which would, I think, add a bit of spice to them. But they're only going to maximum get two seats. I know, I know, but those two seats might be very important, the way things are shaping, mm-hmm. okay, so you okay. never know. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the Lib Dems and, of course, the SNP. Well, yeah, <laughs> so well, the, S- the SNP is an interesting one because I think... I think they hold all the uh, all the cards. I think when it comes to this election, they, they, she's got to be really careful now, though, Nicola Sturgeon. Yeah. We've seen her. We've seen her rise. We've seen her shine. Mm. And I think and now we don't want to see her do anything too weird. Yeah, she, she's, <laughs> she's, she's she's the Nick Clegg of this election, isn't she? I think I feel like she's on TV, and and I think if you looked at Google, she was the most uh, googled phrase was Nicola Sturgeon, yeah. and um, was. I think the another the it's second social media interaction. Yeah, the the second most phrase was "Can I vote SNP in England?" Mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting because it, it. And if you look at what she said on the telly, it's left wing policy. So it, and it's a lot more left than Labour in many respects. And so it, it does see what you said, Mike. You know about the Green Party. It does seem like people are looking for a viable mm-hmm. left wing party to vote for. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an excuse if they hooked up with the Greens to be more socialist. Oh, mm. we have to do this because the Greens say it as part of the agreement. Yeah. They, they they would not be too too displeased if they had to implement a a, a sort of binning of the no, Trident programme. And it would yeah. be good PR for yeah. Labour, I think, yeah. to have a, a, a Green influence in there, definitely. Um, I feel that Nicola Sturgeon just risks um, coming across as... Um, it's just, I think, just arrogant. I felt this week in that TV debate, there was just real glimpses there of just like, yeah, I'm totally aware of the power that I have mm. this week, tonight, in this moment on TV. And I didn't think that, personally, she ended up coming across too well. It just mm-hmm. turned for me a little bit. She, I think she overplayed her hand. Yeah. She was, it was like, I think we, we talked af- actually after the the debate the day after saying it looked like they were holding a private meeting in public yeah. they, shouldn't have, they shouldn't have said she shouldn't have gone on so strong because she just backed him into a corner she should have been conscious that there's no way 
he could have on no. in, a, in a live national TV debate say, yeah, let's get together and talk about this. There's no way he could do that. Yeah. And she overplayed her hand. She came over a bit too forceful, a bit too almost bullying at yeah. times. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that played too well with the viewing audience. It made people feel a bit uncomfortable about her. Um, from the TV debates then, Nicola Sturgeon probably, as you said, Kate didn't come across as well as she did previously on April 2nd. Um, who came out the best then? Um, I would find that really difficult to to pick an overall winner on that. Um, I think I think it was an interesting one because I think actually Ed Miliband did do well. He held his ground and he got his message across, which was you know we're not going with the SNP. I think that was the main point of his of that evening for him really. Mm, yes. um, I thought he argued well. I think the public are getting used to him. And the style and the way in which he does things. Um, his style, I, I, I do have to interrupt you here. His style is really annoying me because <laughs> because I know he's been working with David Axelrod, who was Obama's chief advisor from well when he was back in Illinois running for Senate. But you're not, you, you, he isn't Barack Obama. He doesn't have the charisma, the aura about him to pull off looking straight down the camera or smiling all the time. I just think it comes off really weird. I think he just comes... And I like Ed Miliband, what he says. I think he comes across really well. It's the way he says it. It just... Ugh, I don't know what I it is. I actually think that... Um, uh, there's a couple of things I like which he does, and one which is when he just appears to out-honest everyone else, mm. and he just says from the start, yeah, we got it wrong. Yeah, we got it wrong. Yeah, we made mm. a mistake. No one else does that in the way he does, and I think mm. it's quite disarming, and it's mm. quite good. He did it again this week. Taking the attack away before it's thrown at you. Yeah. He also gives the impression that he's, there's, he's, he's got more than one or two years like Cameron has. Cameron will always say what you expect him to say, and he won't be deflected from it. So you get the impression sometimes Miliband is thinking on his feet, and he, has, he will consider other people's arguments and take it on board. Hence the, the honesty Kate's talking about. It's yeah. something you wouldn't expect from Cameron. No, and so yeah, I, think I think we've got to talk yeah. about Cameron though, because that really was the mm. main thing, wasn't it? Well, wasn't yeah, that? We, we're not sure about the winners, but the biggest loser of the night has to be David Cameron for not being yep. there. Yeah, there was that. Going back, to, I thought after the debate, I was I was very impressed by Natalie Bennett. I thought, wow, because she came across, she was she was a lot more confident than she was in the first TD debate. She got her, her opinions across well. She came across as fair-minded and decent and intelligent. I even liked it when she kicked off, See, demanding that, to be heard. I, I thought she came across as a petulant child when she did I that. Did, it's yeah, my turn to it. speak. Well, don't scream down the camera. And I thought, I thought no one... I, people picked up on it, but I don't think it was as widely seen as it was because of the camera angle at that certain point when she did it. I thought she got away with it. No, I quite like that. I like someone's... She was, she was being snubbed. She saw she was being snubbed, so she just... She tried to draw attention herself so she could speak. Good, like, good to Miller, hear yeah. like a polar opposite view on immigration as well. Yeah. I mean, that, yes. was, yeah. that was refreshing to hear at least some diversity on that. Mm. Yeah. I always, after she did kick off, though, I did think it was funny where uh, David Dimbleby said to Ed Miliband, Oh, Ed, have you got something to say? And he just went, I think it's Natalie's turn to speak. Because <laughs> he was like, Yeah, I'm not getting it. I don't want to shout at me again. So I thought that was quite funny. But moving on to the losers of the night, and I think it's fair to say. David Cameron got a kick in, didn't he? He did. David Cameron for not turning up. Um, Labour played it to the hill. Uh, I liked Ed Miliband's high noon bit at the end, said, come and debate me. This kind <laughs> yeah. of thing, that was a yeah. bit weird. Clegg as well. I mean, because not because he got a kicking, but no one mentioned them afterwards. No. It just showed how insignificant they have kind of become in the election. 
that no one's even so fit to have a pop at the Lib Dems for not going there. Mm. Granted, he said he wanted to go and was blocked for some reason. But all the same, I don't think... I don't, were they mentioned in it? I, I just really remember. feel the fact that he tweeted, or sorry, the Ugh, party tweeted, yeah. we would have gone, but we weren't invited. I mean, mm. all right, do something else on the night then. That and don't know, go to do the pub. <laughs> don't go to the pub. Nick Clegg's in the pub having a pint rather than even seemingly was watching the Was he in the pub in Sheffield Hallam? I don't know. I, don't know, I, no, I, don't, I, don't I can't know. remember where it was, but he was just in the pub and it just looked like, oh, well, I don't care. And I was just like, it's just bad PR. Well, that's Nigel Farage's play, but was he, I suppose he was <laughs> drinking a pint, wasn't he, and with the people. But uh, no, I've, Cameron, yeah, got a kick in. Um, in some ways, they must have enjoyed it at the beginning of the debate because they did, as was, I think you blogged, uh, to start off with, it looked like those rumours that they were all going to gang up on him, and it seemed at one stage they did. But they, and I, I remember writing at the time that they, you know, they must be, he must be loving this. But then they kind of backed off, mm. and then more and more, the longer the debate went on, the more, the more obvious Cameron not being there, it became. So yeah, he he was the big loser of the night. I just think these things are really important, and I think the the establishment have to embrace this change. We want to see them on TV, and. Um, I think they have to accept that that's part of the mm. election political process. And it's only six weeks as well. This is my thing, and obviously I lived in America during two election campaigns, 2008 and 2012. They go on for two years. They start campaigning for 2012 and 2010. It goes on for years, so by the, time, by the end of it, you're sick of it. You know absolutely everything about that person. Six weeks is a very short time to just go, you know what, I've got to suck it up. I've got to go and do television debates. It's not like... They're asking a lot. It's not like he's got... Uh, it, it annoyed me because I'm thinking, you've got to show that you care. You've got to show that you want to be Prime Minister again. And every time we see David Cameron at the moment, I just think he looks fed up and he's just like, I can't be bothered with this anymore. Mm. He doesn't have. Mu- he doesn't appear to have too much passion. But then I wouldn't, mm. under- I would just, you know, I wouldn't underestimate David Cameron. <laughs> well, it's an interesting point, that, because I still think we're waiting for our... Like moments, there's, there's no turning point. It doesn't matter what's happened. Everyone was talking before this week that the manifestos are going to come out. That's going to be a turning point. The polls have stayed the same for weeks. It's 34-34 between Labour and the Conservatives. Nothing has changed. We're still waiting for our moment, aren't we? Well, someone's, I was reading someone last week, just waiting for the, like the breakout moment. There's some sort of issue breaks out. Like uh, everyth- everyone's dying for a John Prescott moment when he smacks someone, something <laughs> yeah. like some standout moment everything's been so regimented so smooth that it's, it's, it's in some ways it's anaesthetising let me say that, anaesthetising the campaign yeah pretty clean Yeah, the TV debates have actually, uh, have actually enlivened them a bit yeah. which shows, um, which shows how, how sort of mutual the, the campaigns have been do you think but, we're going to get a moment I know you can't really predict these things but I really can't see anything happen, I think it's just going to go right down I to feel, the wire. I mean, that was some of those funny... Uh, that uh, mention of Nicola Sturgeon saying she would work, want to work with David Cameron. Oh, with the French ambassador. And then she immediately mm. said, I didn't say that. I mean, that was a... I don't know what happened to that, really, because that seemed know. to be fairly important, but I that kind of went away. I don't know. It's probably me. I was going off on one because you were talking about the, talking with the French ambassador. I was just thinking of that Ferrero Rocher advert. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what they're doing, handing them round. But, but, but I suspect... So if it, it, Nicola Sturgeon eats a Ferrero yeah, Rocher. I don't know if that's a... I think like. Nigel Farage would... He's so a Ferrero Rocher yeah, man, do you reckon? Yeah, I don't think so. But I think if it stays like this, in the last week, I think we'll see the press really sharpening its... Clause mm. coming up with stuff to try tilt the balance in favour of their chosen 
candidate, which will be interesting. To well, they're, trying a, they're trying a little bit at Miliband, I think. You know, the, the two kitchens thing, and then it was um, his, his alleged womanising as well. <laughs> I just, I just don't, it, it, I just don't think anything stuck. I don't, like the, the, no. the throwing everything on, but the kitchen sink at the moment, no pun intended. <laughs> so uh, I don't think anything's going to stick. Well, the womanising thing—it wasn't really womanising, and if anything, it added a bit of colour to his face. <laughs> I mean. Uh, but anyway, but actually, an interesting point from the, just going back to the manifestos briefly is it's interesting looking where they do seem to agree on a couple of points. All the parties is upping the minimum wage and upping the tax threshold, and I just shows that shows how things have changed. This is not a natural conservative policy, I wouldn't have thought, but uh, they, they kind of adopt it from the Lib Dems and see actually it's a vote winner. Mm. So there is some level of agreement there, which I, I found interesting. They're actually address, addressing the concerns of the lower those who are fortunate enough to be in a job to get a get a higher salary. So that there is some common ground there. I think that's an interesting point. I know. I know the press from the start. The national press were fearful that this would be potentially a very dull election um, because of the intense management of debate and the intense mm. management, as, as well as the time that you get with with politicians and we've had some regional papers so far um you know in the past week saying you can't believe it you know we just had a minute so we were held in a pen whilst the you know tv got their chance and we're the local press and we didn't get to have any time to interview them and um i think that's such a massive shame and things are just becoming so reduced down and there's a there's a visit tomorrow uh labor visit tomorrow and you just know you're going to go and you're going to get 40 seconds max which is just not mm. not really not good enough. I'm just going to control it. You'll, yeah, the report has been kettled. It's, uh, it's an interesting. Yeah, that was that balance. was a strange yeah. one because yeah. that was uh, that was Rachel Wearmouth, yeah. wasn't it? She being basically told going back into your pen. <laughs> it's like I'm sorry, <laughs> like, yeah. like it's ridiculous. Yeah, and you know, like having to pay to join the party buses yeah. as well to mm. go out on the road. You know. Yeah. Having to pay to shadow and pay to follow them. It's just something's been a bit lost. So yeah, I'm dying for I'm dying for a Prescott punch moment. We almost had one. That guy who was playing the ukulele and that was that was brilliant. The guy exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, we won't sing the song he was singing because I, I can believe that. Make it okay. <laughs> but uh, it was it was funny when he was trying. He was making his displeasure with Cameron and telling him where to get off. Known, and it was interesting. The this. The uh, policeman coming across, trying to hurry him away, but the guy wouldn't move. Well, that was amusing. That was amusing. More of that, please. I'd yeah, enjoy. yeah. And we had the um, two musicians do the same at the UKIP rally as well, wasn't it? So that was interesting. Um, just touching on UKIP slightly. I'd, watching the TV debate the other night, and I thought uh, Nigel Farage came across not not well at all and I usually think he's a good speaker I don't agree with what he says but I think he puts his points across well um, and by having a go at the audience the live studio audience was a mistake I think it showed him off as petty and then I just think UKIP as the longer the, this election goes on I think they're just falling away as a just a bit of a joke uh, to be honest no I don't think so I think that was he, he might even have scripted that because he comes from the from the right and they always have this thing in their bonnet about the BBC being right, left wing biased which is complete rubbish you actually look at the structure of the, of the BBC it's very right wing yes. but that's so he, I think he's almost waiting to put that in because he, his the MO for the UKIP party is it, it's the outsiders party so if he's there doing the TV debate and everything seems against him there he's like fighting for the 
voting for the outsiders who were the pe the important people were watching as he said so I think that that fits the the mo of the what the UKIP party represents. Yeah, I agree. Him doing that would have spoken to a lot of people and it was probably quite a powerful yeah. little trick that he played. Um, and I, as well, policies on immigration, um, he keeps bringing it back round and he said something something like, you know, I'm thinking what you're thinking. Uh, and it's all... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, he just constantly does he does direct in the viewer in their living room sat on their sofa very well mm. does it better than the rest he does even down to the fact that if you watch at the end when there was the group hug by all the, the female leaders and Ed Miliband walks across to shake their hands in the distance there was Nigel Farage mm. he, the man on the outside he, I think this, this is all very much structured he's, I think he's, he's a lot more politically savvy than people give him credit for I, I, think, I think a lot of this is scripted he knows what he's doing <laughs> um, Rachel Wearmouth, um, who unfortunately couldn't be here today because I wanted to ask her about it, she wrote, a, she wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago saying TV debates don't matter. And when she told me she was writing this piece, I argued that yes, they do, of course they do. Like, that's a ridiculous thing to say. As time goes on, and I keep looking at the polls, and I know polls representative, but they haven't moved through three TV debates now. So, yeah, I think it's, but that's only for the two main parties. Yes, though, that's only it? for so the two main like parties. Say like Nicola Sturgeon. Well, this is what I was going to say. Yeah. Do TV debates actually matter? Well, I would say they do for the minority mm. parties a lot. Yeah. I think our principle they do. I mean, how can you judge if they're being successful or not? Would the polls be tied if we didn't have them? Would Labour be much lower than they were without the impact Ed Miliband? Yeah, exactly. Made? Where would Labour mm. be without Ed Miliband mm. actually having a chance to? to get out there and say, yeah, hell yeah, I'm tough enough. I mean, like, <laughs> that would have, you know, that we saw a bit of, <laughs> it's laughable, mm. but we saw a bit of something there, a bit of personality. Yeah. And oh, it's down to that at the end of the day. Mm. It's down to how you come across. Yeah, and we've seen Natalie Bennett. I, I, keep going, I haven't got a thing for her, honestly. You love Natalie Bennett. <laughs> but just, just the fact that, you know, we've seen the Green Party putting forward a, an interesting manifesto. We're actually seeing a, getting a chance to hear us speak without brain freezes, and so it's quite impressive. So I always I, I have really enjoyed reading mm. the Green Manifesto this week. It's really um, it's just brought up loads of questions, yeah. and it's great to have that edge in there for a bit of mm. difference. Mm. So yes, they do. I mean, for for democracy's sake, it sounds a bit pompous, but it's it's good to have your leaders who are actually fighting for your vote. And secondly, it it, it actually sh it gives them a chance to decide, to actually see it physically in front of you. I mean, like we said, uh, do TV two D do TV debates matter? David Cameron didn't turn up. We're talking for a few minutes about who was the biggest loser of the night. He lost because he didn't turn up for a TV debate. It's a fantastic point. Um, and what we'll finish on is, how oh, I can't even remember how, how far away we are from it. How, a couple of weeks now, isn't it? Two and a half weeks until May the seventh. Now, when we when the uh, and voter registrations tomorrow and mm -hmm. tomorrow. So if you haven't registered yet and yeah and you've still got time, go and do it, please. Um, so who do we think is ahead going into it? Who, if you had to pick one, who what you think is going to happen? It's difficult because. They're neck and neck, and it's someone to come up with that fantastic idea which grabs your imagination, alternatively someone who drops a big bomb and it rebounds on them. So we don't know. It's, it's, it's impossible to tell at this moment in time, which makes it all the more fascinating just, just, to, just to see how it, it, it does it evolve until the actual election. It'll be interesting to see. I think um, the Conservative Party from that TV debate 
uh, we didn't get any support for them apart from from UKIP, which they already knew of anyway. Um, and I think that that's that's. I feel this week what's changed for me is, is the position of the Conservative Party because I feel like there are many many different ways and arrangements and solutions out there. If you know if Labour don't get. Um, the, you know the, the, the number of seats they need. What I can't see is a range of solutions for the Conservative Party um, in equal measure. I don't think they have as many options. So I think that's probably now for them that that, that that's that's the key thing to yeah. to look at. It's a good point. The, the only natural bedfellow, to use that phrase again, is UKIP. Lib Dems once bitten, as they say. Even if you look, people forget about the Northern Ireland MPs. Uh, there's not mm. many Northern Ireland MPs, the old Conservative and Union Party. There's there's not many uh, like-minded people in Northern Ireland. Again, if you're talking about the SDLP, for example, mm. one of the main parties in Ireland, that's another person who Labour could potentially hook up with. So it looks like, at the moment, Labour kind of holds all the cards. Mm. It's not been a good week for the Conservatives, I don't think. And <laughs> <laughs> on, on that bombshell... Um Kate's writing the piece about the Green Party this week. Uh, Kate, can you just give us a like a little thing about that and when that's going to be in the paper? Yeah, so um, it'll be in the journal tomorrow and um, it, Monday, Monday, Monday. <laughs> sorry, um, and it'll also be online as well. And it's a look at the Green Party and it's a look at how they might take votes from Labour. But it, more, more, it's looking at um, the Green Party marketing itself as the left wing and is everyone within the party comfortable with that kind of new branding? And Mike, have you got anything exciting coming up this week? No, but I want <laughs> nothing. No, nothing great. But I was actually looking. One thing I forgot to uh, mention just t- today, Sunday. Uh, suddenly, Boris Johnson's hold interview. He's been quiet. That shows how perhaps desperate the Conservatives are. He's made his Churchillian speech yeah, about saving it. saving Britain from Labour. So that shows how you know. I'm sure if David Cameron and George Osborne had a choice, they wouldn't have him speaking and coming to the forefront because obviously Osborne sees himself as a rival X years down the line uh, as a leader of the Conservative Party so it shows they're getting a bit desperate now they're throwing in their their joker shall we say in the game he's no joker (laughs) (laughs) brilliant well um, it's going to be another fascinating week and we'll speak to you again after hopefully we've had our political moment see you now